the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You are driving home, no doubt. Lots of hustle and bustle and traffic all around you at the moment. But I want you to kind of focus for a moment, if you would. Picture your most idyllic spot to escape to. Maybe it's a small mountain cabin overlooking sun-kissed lake by summer and snow-capped mountains by winter. Perhaps a Spanish-style home with red-tile roof looking out onto the Great Plains with wild horses roaming about. Yours could be a waterfront view from a private beach surrounded by seagulls, waterfowl of every description, and the occasional passing fisherman. Now imagine for a moment such a spot, not just a getaway or a dream spot that you would hope to someday visit, if not read about, but rather a place you call home. Susan Walters calls such a place home, and we find out why inside the pages of a new book called At the End of the Ferry. Susan, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. I must tell you, for most readers, no doubt, they look at your book and they begin to get drawn into the pages of your day-to-day life experience and must think, you know, this is either the fulfillment of a retirement dream or a lottery (laughs) winning. (laughs) Oh, it's just pretty special. You have spent your life as a professional writer. You were in the real estate world for quite a number of years. You've been in the hustle and bustle of of big towns with big names that we would all recognize. And now you've been able to kind of unplug from all of that and in many respects, not just see nature for what it is, but I think at the same token, see God for who he is in all of this. And I have to wonder, as, as your story tonight unfolds, first and foremost, people think about the quietness of the sea and watching the sunset and hearing the sound of the seagulls as they fly in and out and, and whatnot and have to wonder, well, wait a minute now, how in the madness of this day and age that we live in do you unplug from the clutter of the Internet, cell phone, text messages, and 55-inch widescreen TVs? Is this really possible? <laughs> It really is possible, and it's truly a dream come true for me, and I was a big city girl for a long time, and we live in a small town. We still do big city things and have responsibilities, and it's a smell, a noise, a sound. It's really touching nature, and like you said, getting in touch and being still and being closer to to the Lord. It's very, very special. Your book, At the End of the Ferry, really walks us through day-to-day life in your home that has, in so many respects, almost served as a magnifying glass to the wonder of the simplicity of life. What's that experience like on a day-to-day basis? It is truly a joy, you know, when you have not for 17 years, 17 summers, I had not gone barefoot. You know, I mean, you know, you get, like you said, into the hustle and bustle of life. And it's nice to take your eyes off of the computer screen and just focus on what's outside and just the random acts of, I would say, random and deliberate acts of the Lord and what he shows you through nature and wildlife and gardens and 
just a small northwest town. Give us a snapshot if you can. You're, you're up there in the Pacific Northwest, Puget Sound area for those that might be familiar. Maybe some people have had an opportunity to, to head up and visit the San Juan Islands. It's a spectacular part of the upper portion of the west coast of the United States. Mm. But your, your little hamlet there, tell us a bit about it. Paint the picture. Well, it is um, 90 feet of waterfront on the Puget Sound, and it is Woodlands Garden and just nature. I mean, we even had a bear in our yard, but, you know, I mean, we're close to town, but you get the wildlife and the nature, and we have eagles, and they eat off of a stump in our yard, and we have surprises every day. It's calming. It's peaceful. It's also wildlife. I mean, there's there's some wild things happening, too. So um, it's just fun taking in the oysters, the clams, the salmon. You know, we cook what we grow. We can get clams right off our beach. And it's just really a special, special place. Your place and the experiences that you share inside the pages of At the End of the Ferry strike me as as being celebratory of the the finer things in life, uh, being surprised by God, as you say, in so many delightful ways. And I, for the benefit of listeners, there are paragraphs where Susan talks about what happens when a seagull lands on your porch. Now, for most suburbanites, Susan, we wouldn't know it if a bus crashed through the living room. <laughs> and yet you were able to stop for a moment, free a snapshot in time and stop and I would imagine just look at the wonder of the behavior and I have to think for a moment as you're surrounded by all of this beauty of God's creation how can you but not stop and say wow God what a wonderful awesome God you are it truly does make you be in awe just to be still and pay attention and have seeing eyes and touching I feel very very fortunate I highly recommend people wherever they live just get in tune to what's what's out there around them it could be a yellow jacket that falls asleep in a foxglove you know Um, it could be a chipmunk you know the tree trunk traffic it's a joy to just pay attention to I just think these are gifts from God to us Has this been a life-changing experience in the sense that getting away from the hustle and bustle of the noise and the traffic and being able to, again, realize that the big traffic jam is that the squirrel had to stop to let the snake slither by, and it took all of 10 minutes to transpire. I mean, I I realize not all of us can have kind of the on-golden pond experience. I I remember that one scene, you probably recall if you saw the film with Henry Fonda and and Catherine Hepburn when she talks about the color lilies are in bloom again. Such a wonderful opportunity. Was this kind of a life-changing experience for you then? It was. It was It was an absolute dream of mine. We had vacationed up here for years and years. Sometimes I would cry when we had to go home because I just, I loved it. I just saw so much that just spoke to my soul. I would say it definitely changed me in that I wasn't a high-profile job. I still had to work and make a living, and I still hit the wall on some things. I mean, even though I got to live in this small northwest town, but it definitely made me a more peaceful person definitely brought me closer to the Lord and I treasure this experience in this world. I just feel very, very fortunate and blessed. If you've just joined our conversation, Susan 
Ann Walters with us tonight. We're talking about her delightful new book called At the End of the Ferry. It's an opportunity to really kind of escape from the madness and get reconnected with the simpler, finer things in life. And in many ways to recognize that even as we often in day-to-day living as we're heading to and from work and stopping the kids off at uh, soccer practice, going by and picking up uh, groceries at Safeway or Costco and getting home and paying the bills, heater is leaking in the garage and, you know, all of that stuff that we go through that at the end of the day, sometimes we need to make an intentional decision to disconnect from that. Step away, as Susan suggests. Maybe walk out into the backyard and just contemplate for a moment the honeybee busying its work around the blossom of a tree and recognizing the interdependence that those two have with each other, that the tree does not bring forth fruit, save the pollinization job done by the honeybee, and that, in a sense, the life is of, of that fruit tree is dependent upon the honeybee as much as we, oftentimes not aware of God's presence, but nevertheless must depend on his presence for very life itself, our very breath, every single day to pause for a moment and ponder the wonder of the ability to inhale and exhale and the joy that that brings all inside the pages of this new book and we're going to talk more about life at the end of the ferry with susan walters as this edition of lifeline continues and now back to lifeline with craig roberts Truth be told, I could just sit and listen to that for the balance of my life and never complain. Susan Walters getting just such an experience detailed inside the pages of At the End of the Ferry. The book, by the way, is available on the web. You can check it out at christianreading.com forward slash S Walters, W-A-L-T-E-R-S. Or you can order the book by calling toll free 866-909-2665. That's 866-909-2665. 2665. As we move back to your story, Susan, I, I would imagine there must be times when there's this sense of God sort of uh, through nature vigorously shouting, I'm here, I made all this, and I love you. Do you feel like that at times? <laughs> Absolutely. It's pretty incredible. And it's hard to describe, but you, you know it in your heart, and you would never want to give it up. And by the way, Craig, I have your constant comment ready with two lumps of sugar and some lemon. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be right there. <laughs> it is is definitely showing me how God is omnipresent. He's there. He's there. He's in nature. It gives you a peacefulness and it allows you to be still and know that he is God. It's um, really, really a treasure. When you walk out on your front porch and you're surveying, kind of taking in everything around you, do you have time, Susan, when you wonder, how can an atheist be an atheist? And I ask that question because you you look at all of this, and, and to me, in so many ways, it shouts God's glory and God's presence. Absolutely. We had a butterfly bush and never had one of those before, and the the spider ate the butterfly. You see these things and you say, this just can't happen. Just man didn't do this, you know? And it's really more than you can comprehend. And sometimes I don't have the words for it, but that's why I journaled it. I thought, I have to tell this story. Every day I have to write down because every day the Lord is showing me something that is so spectacular and so miraculous and that only He could do. And 
it's definitely brought me closer to him. What about the town, too? I would imagine as much as this has been kind of a life-changing experience for you to turn off the, the din of the madness and allow God to have his way. Are people different, too? Do you see it affected in the lives of people around you oh, as well? absolutely. And they love to talk about nature. They love to talk about wildlife. If they saw a great blue heron nest or they saw an osprey get kicked out of a nest because the eagle wanted it, you know, they'll, they talk about nature. They talk about wildlife. It's just very common. It's just very casual. Um, no, no, you're not going to tell me people do things like bake cookies and rolls and drink them <laughs> piping hot over to your house, are you? Absolutely. You know, very giving, very into each other and neighborly. And they bring me bouquets of flowers they grew in their garden. You know, I bake um, homemade cinnamon rolls and the neighbors know about those. And they know about my granola chocolate chip cookies. And we um, share things or blueberries or raspberries. You know, when it's the season, we take them to each other. And it is a fun, small town. It's special people. It's um, Santa Claus rides on the fire truck through the neighborhood and throws candy at the kids you know, at Christmas time and it has a lot of uh, very, very special things. It must do a lot in terms of renewing your sense of hope for this country too. Yeah, it does. It definitely does. It's uh, People care about each other. You know, these people care. They get involved. They're not out in the boonies or anything like that. I mean, we're a half hour ferry boat ride from Seattle, so we're right near the city. They know their neighbors we get together as neighbors. We'll have um, dinners where we go one house to the other, and we care about what's going on in the world, and we care about what's going on in our town. Kind of see this this circle happening here where you get away from the madness, the outdoor grows bigger, and as it does so, it ends up amplifying the voice of God. Now you get closer in your relationship with Him, and then after a season, the outdoor gets smaller, and friends and people and the things in life that really matter get bigger, do they? It's definitely about values. It's definitely about loving your neighbor as yourself. To treasure one another and care about one another, and then then you care about the bigger picture, too. So many of the chapters, and I'll mention to listeners, this is an easy read. It's a delightful read. It's one of those reads where you pick it up over the cup of coffee or tea or two or three. Uh, you, <laughs> you really fly through pages page by page, put it down, and then set it aside for a day or two, and then come back and say, you know, I need to get away again. And you pick up the book, and you start, and every chapter leads you into something new. I've read the book through, and then in preparation for our conversation today, started to go through it again, and I was struck. Mm-hmm. You talk in there one point, I think it's somewhere along the month of August or, or September. It's it's getting into the fall season, and you talk about a squirrel. And I thought, <laughs> what an escape for those of us in the big city, where the biggest thief in the neighborhood doesn't have a rap sheet a mile high, but rather in your case has a a pile of acorns a mile high, you know? (laughs) This squirrel actually took the tomatoes I was growing and dried them up on our rooftop, you know, to eat them. You know, know, I I don't know. It's it's just fun seeing uh, nature do its thing. It is a mental vacation, definitely. And in fact, an attorney friend from Seattle told me that it's really kind of caused him to just, you know, stop and pay more attention to what's going on around. And And when friends and family come in from the big town Seattle to visit. Are they astonished after a a while there at your home, Susan, that that flowers have names? (laughs) 
Well, they really do have names. I mean, that that came from the nursery with that name, you know. I mean, they love to come here. Even my brother and my four nephews and nieces and his wife live in Seattle, and they love to come over here. It's a different world. It is a slower world. It's a beautiful world. I get calls from North Carolina relatives and friends from Tennessee from asking to come visit, and they love it. It's it's refreshing. It's very special. I feel very, very blessed. I, just hearing you describe it, I, I can smell mulling spices and the apple cider on the stove. <laughs> You're right. And you and you replaced that stove, I understand. I understand that you had a little visit from the fire department, the old uh, <laughs> oil stove finally uh, finally gave up the ghost, so to speak. You still have, you know, you, you, you talked about water heater leaking, things like that. You know, you still have real life things happen. And yeah, the fire department came and that old stove had to go. Your heating system up here, by the way, is really special. You know, wood burning or little pot belly stoves. One of the things men that have read my book like is the story about the egg man that we go to an egg ranch to get our eggs and a lot of people sell things honey so we go to their house and get our honey or we go of course farmers markets which you guys have down there too but this egg man he lives down this windy road past two ponds and it's always something exciting in those ponds Siberian snow geese or waterfowl or today I, I saw I couldn't tell if it was a coyote or a fox actually but this egg man and he's got an old refrigerator and outbuilding and its functions is just an old refrigerator and we just go help ourselves and and we went down there and we got our eggs and the dormer window of this old brick house opened up upstairs and I see this man in his plaid pajamas leaning out the window and he said are there any eggs are we out of eggs and we said no we got them and he kind of laughed I think he went back to bed and we didn't realize it was before six in the morning I had been writing all morning early morning and night and didn't realize the time it was and we just have experiences like that well the fact that you can interact with people in that kind of a fashion, you know, kind of pays tribute to to an older and simpler time in America, a time that most of us thought had kind of slipped through our fingers like the, the sands going through the hourglass and yet what a delight and relief to know that, that places like this still exist and they still exist here in America and people like Susan Walters are able to write about those experiences and share them then with all of us and, and I think in many respects beyond just, Susan, your reflection of life on the Puget Sound and and the ability to hear and see God in, in so many ways maybe is not so obvious to the person in the, you know, uh, traffic lines, smog clogged city streets that we have in, in the urban areas. It's been for you, I would imagine, an opportunity to, to almost kind of evangelize the word that God is still alive and well and his creation all about us shouts his glory. Absolutely. Definitely a simpler life and definitely values that I think that loving him and loving our neighbor as ourselves that's the greatest command and we're, we're really able to do that and people see it. Katie, who wrote on the back of my book, is a young woman I've been mentoring and she... It's really, you know, changed her life. She knew the Lord, but she really wants to walk closer with Him. And she's got three little boys, and she's she's a, actually a meteorologist in Phoenix, Arizona. And it definitely has an impact. It does. It overflows. It definitely overflows. That's my hope, that the book will bring joy to people, help them to see that even in the tough times, and there are tough times right now in the economy, and people are losing their homes and things, and that it will really bring them closer to the Lord and um, help them to see what what's really valuable. And you know, as you point out, uh, oftentimes the, the greatness of the wonder of God's love for us 
is not in the castles built by man, but might be as simple as stepping out in the backyard and looking at the interaction between, uh, you know, the bee and the tree, as I mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. and just be able to witness God's love for us firsthand in things that we oftentimes look right past, don't we? Absolutely. Just the peacefulness of mind and soul. And I I know in quietness and confidence shall be your strength is one of my favorite verses. And I just think um, to have a quiet and peaceable life is very rich. And it doesn't have to be money or riches. And it can be a pot of petunias on your little patio. For all of us that would like to be able to get away and to reconnect with God, I think this in, in very simple ways accomplishes that. The book again is called At the End of the Ferry. And you can get more information about ordering it by calling 866-909-2665. Again, 866-909-2665 or online, as I say, at christianreading.com forward slash S. Walters. Now, Many in the audience will know your husband, and I'm, and I'm fearful to let the cat out of the bag only because the phone will be ringing off the hook with reservation requests. <laughs> so uh, we sure appreciate, though, Susan, you taking some time to uh, share your story and your experiences with our listeners here tonight in Northern California, and most delightfully to, in a sense, uh, open your heart and your lives and your home and the bounty of God's created world there in the Pacific Northwest uh, inside the new book. And I just urge folks, you look to get away, boy, here's an easy way to do it uh, that'll get you away and get you back to God at the end of the ferry. And Susan Walters, thanks so much for the time, Susan. Thank you, Craig, so much. Take care. Always a delight. Take care now. And again, uh, remind you, the book newly published by Zulon, you can get it online at christianreading.com forward slash S. Walters at the end of the ferry. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, according to the old calendar on the wall, graduation time is just about here. And while it's certainly an important moment of a sense of great pride by many parents to see their child walk across the stage in the cap and gown, diploma in hand, having accomplished a solid 12-year career in high school, this means a lot of things. Not only a sense of um, accomplishment, but then, too, it raises questions about what's next. For many students, that means continuance of their scholastic career by moving into college and university. Students may, in many cases, stay close to home, in fact, live at home and maybe attend a couple of year junior college. Others might be making plans to head off somewhere else to college. Well, whatever the plans might be, at the end of the day, we have to admit, this moment in time for students who have graduated from high school and are now beginning their scholastic career at college or university are no longer children, but they're also not quite yet adults. That raises a lot of questions and concerns for parents who understand that there's going to be a loss of control at a lot of levels. And one of the biggest arenas where we seem as parents to worry the most is, do we do the right job to train up our child in the fear and respect and ammunition of the Lord so that they will be able to live out their own faith? Essentially, Are they ready for the life that will meet them ahead, and how do we know? We'll answer some of those questions as Neelan Brown joins us. He, by the way, Executive Director of Focus Leadership Institute at Focus on the Family. And Neelan, great to have you on the program. Thank you so very much. Wonderful to be with you today. Boy, this is a this is a question that a lot of adults struggle with about their uh, children graduating from high school as much even the students themselves are wondering, gee, am I ready? What's going to be facing me out there in the big wide world ahead? 
That's it. Yes, indeed. It's it's a big question, and I think for a lot of parents, it's a looming question. You know, <laughs> that that they're looking at for some time as they're you know watching the years go by, blowing out the birthday candles and all that good stuff. But I think for a lot of students, sometimes for them it comes as a bit of a shock. You know that that it's that first night that you're in the dorm by yourself, no one's forcing you to go to class. Uh, so, but I know certainly for parents, it is a big concern for sometimes sending them off um, into continuing education away from home. You know, we see this as sending our children off to get the answers, the answers that they're going to need about life and who they are as a person and preparing them for uh, either marriage and or a career, maybe both. Uh, But oftentimes we find that many of these students now free from the day-to-day routine that happened under mom and dad's roof. Yeah, they go to school to get the answers, but they tend to oftentimes come back with an awful lot of questions about their faith. Indeed, indeed. Uh, We've find that with many of the students that we serve here at the Focus Leadership Institute, they are wrestling with very big questions. And I do, I do think we, we send our students off to college campuses to get the answers, but on a lot of campuses throughout the U.S., God is no longer a part of that answer and or that equation. So students do find themselves sitting in classrooms and, you know, and kind of circulating amongst populations much broader and much different um, than what they knew at home. And when you're in those classrooms, it does raise some pretty big questions. It certainly can. For parents, I guess the big concern is that it seems to be a time when many of the familiar safety nets are missing, meaning, uh, Neyland, the child is perhaps in a different part of the state or in another state altogether, so they have a different set of friends, they're not attending the same church anymore, sure. much of the usual network that we just sort of rely upon to be there for our kids. All of that has changed dramatically, and now all of a sudden they're, they're in this place where we know that there are competing worldviews at a lot of levels, and, and I guess therein lies the big concern for many parents. Will my son or daughter be able able to survive absent the safety net that's been there for the first 18 years of their life. Indeed, indeed. That, that's, that is the big question. And one of the things that we find, I've spent a lot of time around college students, and I've seen those who continue to be committed to their faith, as well as those who slip away. We can provide those safety nets while we're within the home. However, a relationship with Jesus Christ is quite personal. I think one of the mistakes that can be made is to expect the safety net to get, to get the individual child into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, I heard one brother of mine uh, put it well, who works with a ministry called Access that works with high schoolers. And one of the things he says is, I had to move from renting my parents' faith in Christ to owning my, my own faith in Christ. And I think a lot of times we put so much trust into the safety nets that we neglect to prepare our students for ownership. D- does that kind of make sense? It does. And, and I think it leads to the old adage that um, God has no stepsons or stepdaughters. We there are you know. all immediate direct heirs. And so <laughs> So the relationship needs to be fostered as such that it is a personal, intimate, direct relationship and not one that's lived out vicariously through mom and dad. There there you have it. That's exactly the point. And here's the good news. For parents who may hear this and think, boy, I don't know if I did the best job helping my
getting my students to own their faith. I know I sent them to church a lot. I, I know I had them in this group and in that group, but I really didn't spend a lot of time talking about these things. The good news is it's never too late. Statistics still bear out that even in the midst of students leaving home, um, having all of these various professors and hearing these worldviews, and in addition to technology, which is bombarding our students with ideas and worldviews before they even leave home. And I think at this juncture, one of the fallacies we live amongst is our students aren't hearing other voices while they're at home. They're hearing those voices by elementary and middle school with these iPhones and iPads and, you know, all these smartphones and things. But research still bears out parents have strong influence, even during the college years. So if you haven't been having that renting or leasing conversation and they're graduating now, it's not too late to start. You're still mom. You're still dad. Your voice carries a lot of weight. What about the concern? And I think it's a little legitimate one. Many parents would like to think that as they send their children off to uh, college, that maybe the son or daughter is going to be uh, there on college campus um, expressing a vibrant faith and sharing with others around them, acknowledging the fact that uh, unless they're fortunate enough to attend a, a Christian-based college or university, that they're probably going to have plenty of witnessing opportunities. So there's one part of the equation. Then that kind of runs from being concerned about them having the ability to properly express their faith to what it's going to be like when they have to come in and defend their faith when challenged by other world views and differing religion views. And then, let alone that, even the ability of a child simply maintaining their own faith. Indeed, indeed. Well, Paul the Apostle writes a couple of letters to a very young pastor named Timothy. And in his second letter to him, you have Paul, who's later in ministry, Timothy, who's much younger in the faith. He knows that Timothy is going to be contending with a lot of pluralistic worldviews and all these various gods and all these things. And Paul's advising him. One of my favorite verses is Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, when he tells him, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed and rightly handles the word of truth. The, the preparation to defend, one, to defend one's faith is directly linked to one's understanding of their faith. I think a lot of students get concerned or scared to even speak about Christ because, to be honest, they're not, they're not totally sure what they believe about Christ. And Paul basically tells Timothy, hey, have a zeal for Scripture. Have a zeal for learning about God. I think we, we push our students towards learning in a lot of areas, but a lot of the questions I have is, are we really putting resources? I mean, I mean, good resources like a True You, which was done by Focus on the Family and actually filmed here in the Focus Leadership Institute, or The Truth Project, or even looking at international ministries like uh, Robbie Zacharias International Ministries, that, that wonderful apologist, Robbie Zacharias, who wrote a great book that I think every college student should read <laughs> called Jesus Amongst Other Gods, because many of our students who've grown up in a Christian home have never spent exhaustive time around um, Hinduism or Buddhism, you know, or Mormonism or any of these other um, uh, paths of faith as they're expressed in the college community, or even books that are more popular, like Lee, Sto- Lee Strobel's The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith, The Case for creation. I think one of the things that we may, one of the ways we can help our students be more comfortable with defending their faith and expressing their faith is when we give them resources and don't just have them memorize scriptures blindly. (laughs) But we actually, not only do we give them resources, but we read the same resources and we have discussions about the evidence of the resurrection. 
the truth claims of Jesus Christ and the legitimacy of the biblical canon. It's, it's simple to answer questions once you have them, and I've seen students who can strongly defend their faith position in a loving manner through grace and truth, as Christ uh, gave us as an example. But I think we really have to go deep in helping our students understand it's important to study and know your faith. Absolutely. And then the other thing, too, is the balancing the time. And I want to talk about that when we come back after a brief timeout. If you've just joined us, Neilan Brown is with us, executive director of the Focus Leadership Institute, located at Focus on the Family. We're talking about the challenges, the worries and concerns that you as a parent have as your son or daughter heads off to uh, high school, oh, pardon me, as your son or daughter heads off to college or university, having completed their studies at the high school level uh, this May or June, and, and what are the concerns and what are the important points that we need to keep mindful of as parents and remind our children of? We'll talk about that next as our conversation continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to Lifeline. We're visiting today with Neilan Brown, Executive Director of Focus on the Family's Focus Leadership Institute. We're talking about uh, that exciting time in your son or daughter's life when they graduate from high school, but then that very fearful time when, in many cases, they're stepping out into the world without the safety nets for the very first time as they head off to college or university. And what does it mean for them to be able to express, defend, and maintain their faith? And, you know, Leland, I'm reminded, you mentioned just before, the break about the importance to continue to speak truth and and continue to recognize the influence that parents have on their children's lives. You know, we we start out with the speech that we give our son or daughter when they attend their first day at school or when they go off on their first date or when they attend their prom. I guess there's another important speech that needs to be given as they head off to um, college or university. And I guess part of it comes down to reminding them about a balance in life, because let's face it, they're going to be in a new environment where they've got newfound freedoms, new responsibilities, new friends, and I guess they have to be reminded to make sure that amongst all the things that are so new, to make sure that they carve out time for their old, quote-unquote, faith. Indeed, indeed. God repeatedly calls us to be good stewards throughout Scripture. I think one one of the issues that many students run into in the college environment is, as we look at education today as a nation, we see it simply as preparing individuals to fit somehow into the economic system. And therefore, we lose the grander narrative of us being good stewards of the talents and gifts God has given us, developing those in college, and then having an impact. So I think it's so important not simply to make state, stu- statements excuse me, to students like, make sure you're in class. Go to the library. You know, <laughs> you better be writing those papers. But rather, we want to give them what's the reason you want to go to class? You want to stop by the library. You want to write those papers. It's because God is weaving a grand tapestry in the world. And the purpose of you having time to go and study within the university or the college setting is so that you're prepared to be a part of that grand tapestry. I think it's so important that parents repeat those things. I was a first generation college student. And I'll tell you this much my parents did a wonderful job, even when I felt like I didn't fit in the college campus because I didn't know many who had been through a four-year institution close to my family. Um, My parents constantly, and members of my church community constantly reminded me, God's going to use you for something great. Make sure, make good use of that time there. And I think I felt less like I was being beat over the head and more like I was being encouraged along in the race. 
makes perfect sense. And, you know, helping them understand in that encouragement that, uh, you know, they're, they're going to hear this word freedom a lot, but the other word that needs to be tied into it is responsibility. There you have it. And to understand that uh, they, they need to maintain a level now of, of personal responsibility for themselves. Uh, you know, there, there's not going to be anybody there to say time to get up and go to school, uh, time to go and do your laundry, time to go and eat, time to go to church, time to read, time to, uh, uh, you know, spend some study time alone in meditation with the Lord. And so yeah. it's going to be important that they that they set and establish, uh, I guess, a sense of, of spiritual discipline, too, then, wouldn't it? A, a very strong habit of spiritual discipline, which leads to a strong habit of educational discipline. But I think this is what's so important about spiritual discipline. Your children have to see you doing it before they can value it. Mm-hmm. And if they don't ever see you pray, they don't ever see us reading scripture, and I have three children of my own. If daddy never prays at the table, reads scripture, we have discussions, that I cannot expect them to go out and carry that with them. Because we, we do, again, learn a lot from our parents' example. And I believe part of the reason why God calls children to honor their father and mother is not because, it's not only because he's holding the child accountable to honor them, but that also puts accountability on the parents. For you to be something that's worth honoring, <laughs> for you to demonstrate a relationship with God, so the child is to look up to you and follow your example. So I think it's so important that they have that structure. And let me say this, let me, let me make this last point. It's so important that that we not be helicopter parents when they get into college. Responsibility matters. I agree with you 110%. I have experienced so many parents in my teaching career as a university faculty member who want to come and clean up all the mistakes of their children in class. And that does nothing but lead to a child who takes even less responsibility because mom and dad are eventually going to show up and save me from what I've done. So as we encourage them on in God's great plan, be spiritually disciplined, spend time in, in scripture, spend time in prayer, Make sure you're attending classes and you're, and you're planning things out. And You can have some fun, but you're also being responsible. I think it's also important as well to let students scrape their knee when they scrape their knee and not always run up behind them and attempt to fix the situation by chasing down their faculty member and telling them why even though my son didn't turn in the last three papers, they're just a really good kid. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there is an inclination by parents to want to be overprotective, and given you know the, their understanding and experience with the world, uh, I think that's a reasonable expectation. But it's not realistic when it comes to the relationship with the kid. But you know, it, it, that raises an important point. As children are going out, and everything is about new discovery. They're discovering themselves. They're discovering newfound freedoms, responsibilities, yeah. newfound friends. Is it important, at the very least, as we encourage our child, since they will cross paths? with a whole variety of people, some of whom they will share the same worldview and values with and many of whom they will not, to maybe find themselves in a position where they can come under, if not, again, the, 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 the hover parents, you know, at least have some access or exposure to someone who p- can provide kind of in that mentoring relationship the kind of guidance that they really need. Now, this maybe could be a teacher on campus, maybe a graduate student or somebody else, somebody that's not mom and dad, and yet is somebody that they can look up to that can, get, that can speak some truth into their life. That is so very important. And one of the, I think, before students go on the college campus, one of the things parents should encourage them to do is, number one, as as you stated, sometimes they're going across the country or across the state. Uh, Number one, find a local church fellowship. Many of the successful students I've seen who are really growing spiritually strong during their college years 
have a local fellowship, a church fellowship outside of their college community. And oftentimes that's where they will find mentors. But there are also faculty members on campus who can pour into their lives. And I think this is when it's so important that parents share their stories of those who have helped them in their walk with Christ and encourage their child. You find those people too. God has those folks out there for you. You do not have to do this alone. On every college campus, I would venture to say, or within the local community of the local church, a child, a young person can find a mentor who can pour into them spiritually and also help them through the process of grappling with big questions. I had a couple of faculty members who really made the difference during my undergraduate career, as well as a pastor and his wife who actually came and visited uh, me and my family this past weekend from the local church I attended during my undergraduate career. And they made an indelible imprint on me as a young man in my view of family, in my view of truth, in my view of Christ. And all of that took place while I was pretty far away from home and mom and dad weren't there. And actually, oftentimes, you know, uh, what will uh, put it this way. When I was a kid, Neeland, um, my father was pretty stupid. And it's amazing, the older I got, the smarter my father got. <laughs> of course, I you. When, when, when I say that in front of him, he doesn't quite agree with it that way. But yeah. certainly from the child's perspective, you know, when we're young, we think we know everything and our parents know nothing. Then we get into our 20s and our 30s and our 40s and some of us even beyond that. I, I don't know that directly, but I read about it. <laughs> you, you, you learn that, you know what, mom and dad weren't so dumb. And so sometimes these mentors, as you point out, have an opportunity to speak truth into the life of our child at an age when they might not receive that truth from mom or dad, but would openly embrace that truth coming from an independent third party whose opinion they respect and they believe, well, it must be true because this person doesn't have an agenda at foot here. There you have it. And, And let me make sure I say this. Every parent who is sending a child away from home to college should be praying this prayer. Lord, send someone to disciple my son or daughter. Send a good, I think sometimes we, we just want to be the people to do it for our own children, you know. <laughs> so, so we say, Lord, send them to me. But I, I always recommend praying, Lord, send them someone who can touch their life and they'll listen to them. You know, someone who's rooted in the gospel, stands firm on biblical truth, and my child will hear them. Because you are exactly right. I remember when I got ready to marry my wife, suddenly my father knew all kinds of stuff. Yes. Uh-huh. Stuff that, stuff that I, re- <laughs> I said, wow, this guy has good things to say. And I wondered what happened during that period from me being 13 to 17 when he knew absolutely nothing. He, he, he must have been studying privately, quietly at night, you yes, know? I suppose, I suppose yeah. so. But suddenly, and I, I think, and that's one of the things parents have to understand. Young people go through phases. There is a questioning phase while they're in college, and they don't only question their faith. They question everything, (laughs) their place in the world, what they eat, what they drink. It's the reason that we have all of these causes that break out. I mean, college students, will they will protest any given cause because they're at a point in their life where they're sorting out society, sorting out what they believe, so on and so forth. So if you feel a little distance from your child, keep reaching out to them. 
keep loving them because soon enough life happens <laughs> and you start coming back around. <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, some good solid advice for parents to provide to their children and take for themselves as your son or daughter heads off to college or university. I'd like to thank Neilan Brown for being with us, Executive Director of Focus Leadership Institute, located at Focus on the Family. Leland, lots of resources available, too, through the website, focusleadership.org. Lots of, lots of uh, resources available there, and we would love for any parents to reach out and contact us. Uh, you could even shoot me an email. My email is on there, so contact me if you have any questions or, or thoughts, if there's any way we can assist with recommending a resource for your college student. Excellent. Again, on the web at focusleadership.org. That's focusleadership.org. And our thanks to Neilan Brown, the Executive Director of Focus Leadership Institute, for being with us on this segment of Lifeline. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to KFAX.com. That's KFAX.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time around, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.